Hello, everyone. Hello, friends. <laughs> um, so we, it's Tuesday right now um, that we're recording, and we both have had very busy weekends. Yes. Um, and we're back to work, and I feel like I'm still trying to, like, get back into the swing of things. Yeah, I am too. I feel like anytime I travel, my routine's kind of thrown off, and mm-hmm. we've had some, like, other stuff going on that I'm not going to say because I don't want to jinx anything, but I'll definitely share the news when we can. Um, but I have a poll question for everyone listening. So, Dan and I were flying to San Antonio. Shout out to Steph if you're listening. Hey, Steph. We love you so much. <laughs> to visit Steph and um, her husband, Gator. What is Gator's <laughs> actual name? Um, Donald. Donald. That's what I thought. <laughs> um, and we were flying Southwest. So, if you've ever traveled Southwest before, you know that you have to, like, check in. I think it's, like, 24 hours mm-hmm. the night before. And they assign you a seat position, which I just don't like the concept of. Like, I don't really understand what it's saving them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I right. mean? Right, yeah. Because I feel like a system would just, like, generate right. a seat. Like, yeah, like, every other airline has assigned seats. Yeah. Why can't they yeah. do that? And I really like Southwest, except for that. Um, but we were, like, one of the last people to board. So we knew we weren't going to be able to sit together. Mm-hmm. But then Steph and I were talking, and I the question becomes, because I had to plan for this on the way back, is um, if you are walking onto the plane with your husband on Southwest, and there's just that feeling when you see that there's just, like, only middle seats, mm-hmm. maybe an inside seat, do you sit all the way in the back to sit together, one of you in the middle seat, or do you both snag aisle seats on the walk down? Oh, that's a good question. So the aisle, oh, that's hard. It depends on what's left. I feel like if it was all middle seats and then there was like two, only yeah. two together, yeah. then like definitely the yeah. two together. Yeah. But if it was two aisle seats available, yeah. I'd be like, see ya. I know. <laughs> same, same. I. So what did you guys do? So we, unfortunately, were both middle seats, oh. but we just sat like in one row in front mm-hmm. of the, in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flight back. We sat together, but just in the way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sat in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I always get annoyed when couples who are traveling together, if there's not seats together, they'll yeah. ask you if you'll move. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, why do you need to sit together? Yeah. yeah. Like, I was here first. Right. Unless it's like an overseas flight or something that's super, super long. I don't know. Really? I still, like, if I had an aisle seat and there was a couple who wanted to sit yeah. together and I would be moving to a middle seat. Oh, no. I would never I'd be like, ask. hell no. Sit I would down. never <laughs> ask. I was actually thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, maybe if there were plenty of seats on the plane mm-hmm. and, like, we weren't sitting together. Yeah. I don't, I still don't think I would ask, though. Unless I had kids. Yeah. Like, obviously, yeah. I don't want to, like, split yeah. up for my kids. But Yeah, I've actually, so, like, when I first ever... Because growing up, we didn't travel a ton. So when I started traveling to Boston, I remember there were a couple times people asked me to move, and I was just pissed. Because it's like an hour flight. Right. It's like, yeah. you'll see each other Right, enough, you'll be fine. I'm sure. <laughs> um, the flight to San Antonio, I was bummed because Dan had the snacks. Mm. So I was like, dang it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just flight etiquette, I feel Yeah, like. I think so. But speaking of flight <laughs> etiquette, so... Um, reclining your seat. Uh-huh. So I saw a, poem, or a thread on Facebook, and people were getting outraged at people who recline their seats, uh-huh. like saying that it like wasn't a right, 
and that it wasn't okay to recline your seat. Uh-huh. I am in the mindset <laughs> that it's fine. It, first of all, it reclines like one inch. Yeah. Like it's not that big of a deal. Second of all, everyone has the ability to recline their seats. So why not? Yeah. But I know you disagree. I disagree. <laughs> so like, and granted, this is just because I've had the experience of a very large man in front of me reclining, which mm-hmm. I do feel like had some more power right. behind <laughs> that, it. That is, and like, yeah. mm-hmm. if you were to recline, I get irrationally pissed off. There's really no reason, <laughs> but I just feel like all of a sudden, especially like on JetBlue where they have the TVs, it's like oh, all yeah. of a sudden like an inch away from my face <laughs> and I'm just like, can you not? But I also realize it's like mm-hmm. everyone is allowed to do right. it, but it's yeah. just one of those things I'm like grumpy about. Yeah. See, I yeah, so because I feel like everyone can recline, I that's one thing that I don't get irrationally <laughs> mad about, which is surprising because I do get irrationally mad yeah. occasionally. But like I'm also kind of like is the 1 inch worth it? Like is it much better? I feel like it is. Is it? I mean, <laughs> As yeah. a non-recliner, I just don't know. As Maybe a recliner, I, <laughs> I feel like it especially like so I've traveled back and forth to Utah a lot, to the West Coast, like to yeah. England a lot. So those yeah. long flights, that inch, yeah. makes a huge difference. I think that's different. Yeah. I think if it's like a flight abroad, where you are going to be cooped up. But mm-hmm. if it's like two hours, I'm like, right. can you right. not? Yeah, if it's two hours, <laughs> if it's like during the day, yeah. like it's not yeah. a need, obviously. But, yeah. um, but I've had like, I've definitely had like a big guy in front of me and I'm just like mm. I've also been wedged in by oh. a very large man on a Rochester oh, flight. No. And a Rochester like it's so small. It's one mm. of those small planes mm-hmm. that like they were like someone needs to move to redistribute the weight and I'm just like <laughs> I'm like trying to not you know like look over <laughs> you <laughs> like <laughs> i think someone else moved and then i was just literally wedged in the oh, corner no. everyone else i was traveling with was just laughing <laughs> the worst um so let us know on our facebook page what you think about reclining seats whether you think yes. it's okay or not yes and sitting with your significant yeah. other yeah i have many other travel things that i can talk about but we'll save those yeah. for later yeah because I could talk about it. quirks So today, our speaking guest, of speaking of travel, she just got back from a f- two-month vacation trip, whatever you want to call it. Experience. Experience. Um, she's been home for four days, and she was so nice to interview with us yes. tonight. Um, so Katina, um, she is the founder of On Adulting. Yes. So on adulting. And she talks about how to transition in your 20s from, you know, kind of that hype of graduating college. You're so excited to enter the workforce. Mm-hmm. And then you get there and you're like, uh, You have what? that moment where you, like, try and put on a smile mm-hmm. and think, like, this isn't so bad. Right. But really, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, shit, this is terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we talk about kind of manifesting what your dream actually is, you know, trying to find that happiness, leaning into uncomfortable situations, mm-hmm. which is so important, um, and manifesting, mm-hmm. uh, we tapping, talk, yeah, tapping, <laughs> like all of these amazing things. And she really puts things in perspective. Like the whole time we were talking, um, we would ask a question and she's like, Oh, it's just this simple. Like this yeah. is it. And yeah. I was like, 
Oh, it is that simple. She's the best mindset. <laughs> Such a good mindset. So positive, so open, so just like willing to try things and take risks. Um, and I think we definitely need more of that yes. in our world. Seriously. Yes. That's what I'm, I'm trying to be like, Katina, mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Gratitude. That's the goal. Putting it on the... Manifestation. Uh, yes, seriously. <laughs> all of the things. Um, so we know you guys are going to love this episode. Don't forget to join the secret secret Facebook mm-hmm. group so you can sound off on these important flight dilemmas that we have. Um, you can just search super exclusive detox and chill um, podcast group mm-hmm. on Facebook and find us on Instagram. Give us a follow, a comment. We love hearing from you guys mm-hmm. and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah. Just one more thing before we let you go. Oh yeah. I was trying to say bye. <laughs> <laughs> Meg's trying to leave and I am holding you here. Um, So March 2nd for our Boston peeps, we have our Sweat Fix event in Southie. So tickets are going fast. So get your tickets. We're going to have food right after. We're going to have a little beverage. Yes. So excited about. Um, So please join us for that. We'd love to meet all of you. Um, And if you have a detox and chill tank, wear that. Oh, yeah. We can all be twinners. Yes. So exciting. Um, and then there's a special secret event in our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. So if you want to find out about that, that's the end of February, go to the Facebook group. Yes. That is the more of the story. Just join yes. the Facebook group. Yes. Um, so now, enjoy the episode. We love you. Bye. So today we have the amazing Katina on the podcast. Um And we're so excited. So um, we obviously know a little bit about your background, but I would love to just kind of start, if you don't mind, for our listeners Mm -hmm. um, to just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started, and how you started this amazing on adulting concept. Yeah, totally. I feel like I could take forever with just that question, (laughs) but I'll try to keep it really (laughs) succinct and you can totally interrupt me or ask questions as I go along. Um, But thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you guys and uh, kind of talk all things adulting. Um, But specifically about me, so I started my career actually in finance in New York. Um, I graduated and was working at a big bank and actually immediately felt like there was something wrong. So Mm -hmm. I entered my first job actually after a semester of travel. So I took some time, I graduated a semester early and took some time off to go to Australia, New Zealand and backpack. And I think that was really what set me apart from my fellow analysts to um, think a little bit differently about what adulthood should be. So on adulting was really not even a concept for me. I studied math in school and did not think I would be spending my time writing and talking to people all day. Um, And So I spent about a year in that role and was really just struck by this kind of um, mindset that everyone around me had, which was settling for mediocre. And Mm -hmm. I knew that that was something that just not just for myself, but for everyone around me that I didn't want all of us to live this regular life. So my coping mechanism with trying to figure out what I was meant to do, what um, really made me feel alive and feel me 
fill me with passion was writing, which is something I had never really turned to uh, once I kind of graduated high school and entered college. And I realized that there were so many people like me just from starting to write this silly little blog on Medium, um, which is this blogging platform. Mm -hmm. And from there, everything in my life kind of shifted, which I'm sure I could go into more detail about. But it all started with just this internal fire of not settling for mediocre. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think that's such an important point to bring up, especially when you're in your first job and you're, you know, you're kind of so excited about getting done with college and you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm an adult. Look at me and like, let's see what I can do. And then you get to your first job and you're sitting in that first office and you're like, what have I done? Yeah, total mistake. Totally. Yeah. And, and so to your point, college if you don't you know kind of get out and see the world it doesn't necessarily prepare you for that step into the adult world quote unquote so um, I'd love to talk more about you know the shift that you felt um, and how you kind of leaned into that and how Mm -hmm. you broke away from your finance job Yeah, totally. Um, So there are a lot of little steps in there. And I feel like whenever people share their story and they're at this place, you know, um, that others aspire to, they forget all the little details. So it definitely took a while for me to wake up one day and be like, wow, I don't want to be here to actually doing something about it. Um, And I think that the first real step for me was not being afraid of what other people thought. So I started Mm -hmm. kind of pushing the boundaries in that job. Um, And, you know, I started out in this typical finance role, but realized very quickly that I was passionate about making an impact in the world, whatever that meant. And I saw some person working on environmental sustainability work for the company writ large um, in one tiny little desk. And I realized that I wanted to have a part in that. So I raised my hand, as they say in corporate speak, and asked to just volunteer on these like side projects at work, which was very much looked down upon by my managers and everyone. They were like, what is this girl doing? Essentially working two jobs. Um, But I knew that I needed to start figuring out. And as you said, leaning into that discomfort, um, to understand what made me really light up because at that point I didn't know I just knew that I didn't want to be doing what I was currently doing um and I think that was a really important lesson for me just to be able to test and um step outside that typical box uh without really having any regrets or worrying about what other people might say. So taking tiny steps to just challenge yourself and challenge your perception of what the world is and what it could be, it was really important for me, especially in the beginning and something that I like still have to challenge myself to do every day. Yeah. And I, I actually worked in a finance job as well. I worked, Mm -hmm. um, in public accounting for, 
four years and I'm just thinking about you doing that and I give you all the credit yeah. in the world because it's just it's really crazy when you're removed from the situation but kind of like I don't want to say brainwashed I'm trying to think of a better word but everyone just thinks there's this super set path and if you're the one who's deviating from that path like everyone loves to talk about it everyone's mm-hmm. like can you believe um so what I'm curious about, because this is something that I'm totally still working on and still can yeah. be a struggle for me, is how did you start to let go of caring what other people thought about you? Mm, that's a really good question. And I think probably on some level, all of us still will care about that in some way, no matter what we do. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that that was actually something that I've my parents have really instilled in all my siblings since we were little kids and I guess to back up a little bit my dad was born in Greece and moved to the U.S. when he was a teenager and my mom was born in Queens and New York and I grew up on Long Island so I grew up in a very cookie cutter town where everyone went to the same church and wore the same clothes and, you know, had this mm-hmm. small group of friends that I'm sure you can all imagine, yep. um, or maybe even grew up in a town like that. And so just by default, by being a different religion, ethnicity, whatever, I was the like diverse friend of <laughs> my group. So I kind of always grew up with like fit this idea of fitting in but having a rebellious like different streak and I think my parents really taught us to like think that was cool which looking back on it I'm not exactly sure how they did it but um I think it's really important skill to practice and continue to put yourself in situations where you feel uncomfortable but still find that inner confidence so I think that I always thought that it was really cool to do things that were a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just as like practical advice for everyone, all it takes is small steps to like start to believe in yourself and believe that what you're doing is really cool and unique. So whether it's like being proud of your clothes or whatever, like making an outfit at home or kind of taking steps to stand out a little bit and get that confidence up, I think is something that I still continue to challenge myself to do and um, something we all need to kind of keep growing with. So I'm not sure if that fully answers your question, but I think that the idea of pushing yourself to be proud of being a little bit different helps not just in like life, but in any career move that you make or making friends, um, really everything as we yeah. grow up. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think to your point, if you look back or look at, you know, the successful entrepreneurs that are out there right now, when you look at their stories, they were the ones that, you know, were the outcasts. They were the ones that stood out and kind of went on their own path. And they've built these, you know, amazing companies and been able to, like we said before, lead into that. Um, so I'm curious. So in in my experience, when I quit my first job that I was miserable in, mm-hmm. um, I had a hard time with 
you know, the thought of disappointing my boss or my coworkers, because I did get pretty close to some of them. Um, Mm -hmm. There were some that I was not a fan of, but, um, (laughs) but there was that, you know, that idea in my head that I was like, oh man, like I'm going to be leaving them with all this work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, how do you, um, how do you kind of get away from that and, you know, focus more on, okay, this is what's best for me. Mm, that's such a good question. I think it just reminds me of something that's a little bit broader and something that I always go back to. And anytime that you leave a job or do something that's a little bit scary, you're confronted with these fears, which are founded, right? Like it's important for us to be a little bit scared because we don't know what the future holds. But what I always think is really important is coming back to your ultimate life mission. And if you're doing something that fulfills that, then it's okay to make choices that are might upset other people or um, do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Because at the end of the day, if we are serving our purpose, then that means that there's going to be some positive outcome of it, right? So I think that if we always go back to answering that question, is this serving my ultimate life mission or the big questions that I want to answer, then it's hard, but it's something that helps get past that idea that other like caring about what other people think, which even relates back to some of the earlier questions that we were talking about. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that helped me as well was, you know, I thought about, I was like, okay, if they were in my shoes, what would they do? Would they think of other people or would they do what's best for them? And I'm like, they would do what's best for them. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, even a specific example on that, I remember when I accepted my first job at this big bank, um, I loved this one guy on my team. He was a mentor of mine. He was just a bit older than us. He really helped me out during my summer internship there and like really um, encouraged me to join the team. And when I got back the following year, he left within two months. And it was the first moment where I was like, wow, people leave jobs and Mm -hmm. I can't make decisions based on what other people do because ultimately they're doing what's best for them. Um, So that was a really early first lesson that everything kind of changes in careers and making choices for other people's is an ultimate detriment to yourself. So Mm -hmm. as long as you're doing something that, again, like serves Um, your bigger life goals then it's okay and you can always stay in touch with these people Mm -hmm. (laughs) outside of work yeah that's so true and I I've left two jobs now um, to be at the one that I'm currently at I feel like the first one was at a company where so many people left that although I was nervous it was kind of like well you know so many people do it I'm not the outlier Mm -hmm. This past time, I felt just immense guilt because I loved everyone I worked for. I loved my boss so much and I just respected him so much mm-hmm. that I was like dying on the inside that I was going to need to disappoint him. And I was terrified yeah. that he was going to like hate me <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> moving forward. But what I was pleasantly surprised by and what I would 
say to anyone out there who might be thinking of doing a similar thing because the job I was moving to was a complete 180 from what I from what I was doing now is that he was just so understanding and Mm -hmm. just like kind and was like yeah you know like we're gonna miss you but you have to do what's best for you so I feel like it's when it's that situation where you get or at least I do I get so worked up about things Mm -hmm. and then when it actually happens it's just like totally not that bad (laughs) totally Um, yeah it's so easy to build it up in your head and then once you do it I mean most of the time everyone has experienced that at some point in their careers as well. So it makes sense that most people and all of our experiences are understanding. Yes, yes. Um, I would, so to kind of transition then, so you were in this finance job, what was next? So how did you transition out of it? Um, What were you scared about? Let's get into all of that. Yeah, so I think going back to one of your earlier points, it's really much easier to transition out of a role when you go to something completely different. It's much more understandable than going to a competitor, say, Mm -hmm. right? So for me, I realized pretty early on that, as I said before, I wanted to do something that had a big impact in the world. I just didn't know what it was. And I started working on our environmental sustainability team at Goldman, which is where I was to start my career. And I realized during that role that I didn't know anything about social impact. I had studied finance and management in school and was really passionate about this, but needed to kind of learn more about it. So Speaking of kind of like serendipitous situations, I ended up speaking with an old professor of mine and telling her what I was passionate about and wanted to learn more about. And unbeknownst to me at the time, she was the president of a philanthropic venture firm in New York. So cool. And yeah, she was like, I want to hire you. <laughs> Just come oh in to gosh. meet the team. Yeah, it was pretty random. And now that I like know more about kind of manifestation and things of that nature, I definitely mm-hmm. was doing a lot of that type of work without knowing it at the For time. Sure. Um, but so I went in to meet her team and it was honestly the most amazing position I could have ever asked for. I was basically working directly for her um, and consulting nonprofit leaders on brand and organizational strategies. So really just like a two-year stint for me to learn as much as I could, both Mm -hmm. about how organizations should run and how to make an impact in the world. So I moved on to that um, role. And as both of you said, my team, even though we had our ups and downs. We were super understanding. They were like, we knew from the beginning you wanted to do something right. that was really different than your role and what we could offer you here. So we're so happy for you to move on to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I moved on to that. And at the time, I was just kind of still questioning, like, what is this whole adulthood thing? How do you really find what you're passionate about? Everyone sold us this dream in school that we were supposed to be doing something that doesn't feel like work. And I'm pretty sure everything still feels (laughs) like work. So (laughs) there must be something I'm not getting. Um, So that's when I really started writing publicly and started on adulting was when I got into a space where I wasn't kind of in the midst of this 
personal life struggle where everything sucked to (laughs) where I could see um, that that there were some things about growing up that were really great and there were some things that you kind of just have to learn. So that's the time where I felt like I had something to share but also wanted to create a community of people who were figuring it out too and were trying to understand how to live a more mindful and happy life as we all navigated adulthood together. Mm -hmm. So that kind of takes us into when I started on adulting. And I was doing that for about two years while working. Um, I was just writing and connecting with people and really sharing my passion with the world, like late at night on my couch, writing (laughs) um, which was amazing and fun at the time. So don't regret it, but definitely a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot. We totally understand that. We're uh, at our nine to fives and then we come home and we work on the podcast and, you know, all of the other things that life has for us, husbands and relationships and all of that. So definitely get that. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, but it's it's a lot. I feel yeah. like side hustles are definitely could be a whole other podcast part two (laughs) yeah exactly I love it um so I you mentioned manifestation and that's been Mm -hmm. one of my goals for 2019 is you know kind of figuring out my own intuitive nature and finding you know how my mind works and how I manifest things. So I'd love to know more about how you manifested, you know, this whole career um, with your blog and with on adulting. Totally. Yes. And that is something that I personally um, have been diving into a lot more since I moved out to the West Coast. Um, So maybe I could just give a little more background on like where I'm at now with on adulting and that might be more helpful in like how this all comes together. So after working um, at my organization in New York for almost two years, my boyfriend and I decided that we were ready to leave. We grew up in New York, went to college there, lived there after college and needed a break. So we um, both were kind of looking for roles outside of the city. And it ended up that he got a really awesome job out in San Francisco, which is one of the places that we were open to and excited to live in. So I had on adulting at a pretty good like a it was running at that point and was really starting to grow and get traction but definitely I would have never unless I was pushed kind of taken that full time at the time um but we both decided to move out to San Francisco me without a job um and my boyfriend Dupi had a really great job in private equity out here so When I moved out here, I was kind of forced with this decision and I was ready to recruit for regular jobs that um, things that I had been doing before or take on adulting full time and kind of make that leap and make it work. And as I was interviewing for new roles, I was like, I do not want to be doing this. This is taking Mm -hmm. 20 steps backwards towards, you know, the stream that I'm working towards. Um, So I ended up uh, just going with my gut and kind of figuring out 
it out as I went. And on adulting, kept growing. I kept getting partnerships and speaking opportunities and growing this community, which was awesome. Um, but definitely going back to your question about manifestation took a lot of, of mindset and kind of different tools that I had been using to really help me get into the place where I believed that that was possible, which I think is the ultimate root of the idea of manifestation is changing our belief system and allowing ourselves to dream and then actually following up on those actions that show up in our lives to take those big major steps that are pretty scary. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I kind of manifested this dream job working in philanthropy, but um, I didn't know anything about it at the time. I just kind of knew the concepts of positive thinking. My dad is really big on that. So I grew up with um, those types of mindset tricks, but nothing like what's kind of blowing up today in the wellness world about manifestation and um, kind of going for your dreams in a really specific way. So what I learned, especially after moving out to the West Coast, is a couple of different tricks that are really helpful that we could all do in our everyday lives. I like to have a really clear morning ritual. Um, and they're really simple. They're not like these crazy woo-woo things. They're mostly just about getting really clear on your intentions and what you want and then not being scared of taking those next steps when they actually show up in our lives and being open to that. Um, so a couple of kind of tools and I could get into this later too, but a couple of different things that I do specifically are journaling exercises. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of EFT or tapping. No, no. I'd love to know what that is, though. Yeah, totally. I could explain a little bit more about that. Um, and then also just like repeating mantras or sentences that you come up with um, or maybe that are given to you that help you kind of get in the frame of mind that allow you to be open to all of these cool things that start appearing. Um, but I could quickly talk about EFT tapping. Yeah, That's I'd love to hear that is. Cool. Yeah. So this is something that was introduced to me after I moved out to San Francisco. And mind you, when I first moved out here, I'm a native New Yorker, definitely super skeptical of all of these things. Yes, like, we what? feel you living in Boston. <laughs> yeah, like what is everyone talking about out here? I do not have crystals. I don't even know what that is. Um, so I got out to San Francisco and was very confused and like, trying to keep an open mind about it. Um, but it's almost the complete opposite of the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So I had actually met some amazing people who I consider my mentors who have slowly introduced me to these types of things. Um, and one of them is tapping. So essentially, this is base. It's a method that was created in the 1980s that was 
created by a psychologist. So it has its roots in science, but it seems kind of weird when you're doing it. But I would say this is the number one tool that's actually helped me kind of shift my mindset subconsciously. So essentially, this psychologist, I his name is escaping me, but um, discovered these seven meridian points in our bodies that when we tap on them and say certain mantras or words, it helps us become more open and release certain beliefs that we have. And from what I've learned, I would by no means say I'm an expert in this, but um, the way that he discovered this was one of his um, clients was deathly afraid of water. And he tried all these different methods and then he ended up combining a couple of different tools that he um, had knowledge of and created this new system of thinking. So essentially it's like 10 minute exercises that you could do and you could either create them yourself or be led by someone. My favorite is a woman named Kate Winch and you could find her stuff online. Um, but essentially you just tap on these certain points in your body and repeat after the person, whether it's about, you know, releasing certain fears or, um, creating abundance in your life and it's just pretty amazing in how you let go of these beliefs that you didn't even know you had that's so interesting um I'd be dying to try that so I'm definitely gonna look that up because it's crazy that there's like so many subconscious things at work (laughs) in Mm -hmm. going on in our bodies and kind of like what you were saying, I'm pretty skeptical. Like I definitely (laughs) subscribe to wellness things, but a lot of times for me in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, well, this is fun. Like it makes me feel good, but I don't necessarily think it's like scientific (laughs) and going to work. So that's really cool. Um, Really cool to hear that you found that. Yeah. Um, I would love to, so we know that you went on what looked like the most amazing trip of all time. (laughs) So we would love to hear about that. And also too, I was reading one of your Instagram posts and I didn't realize how long of a trip it was. So I would also love to hear how you kind of stayed sane and also Mm -hmm. made a home for yourself while you're away from home for so long Mm -hmm. because I think while travel is absolutely amazing when you're gone for that long it's like how do you maintain some sense of normalcy totally yes I am four days home from a two-month trip um it was also the most spontaneous trip you could imagine my boyfriend ended up quitting said job that was great for him oh oh my gosh that's exciting (laughs) yeah he is my ultimate client and mind shifts I'm just kidding um yeah no but after that we both it was around the holidays and since I can work from anywhere with the work that I do. I um, was able to take some time to travel. It started out as a three-week holiday trip to Asia, and then we were able to actually um, rent out our apartment, so we just kept extending it, which 
was crazy in itself, but also one of the most amazing experiences ever, just being able to travel with your significant other without really any plans while also doing work, which yeah, is a really interesting so cool. experience. Yeah. yeah um, the dream. <laughs> yeah and it's funny because we had been talking about how like could we do this forever is this something that you know you could see yourself continuing and I think it totally depends on the way that you structure the trip and also like who you're going with right because Mm -hmm. for my boyfriend Dupi and I we both can we spend so much time together. We live together. We do everything together. So it's really like having, you know, a built-in best friend, but also just someone that you could be your truest self with. So Mm -hmm. you don't need to have any pretenses, which might happen if you're traveling with a friend or something. For sure. Um, And also when you're traveling alone, it can get pretty lonely Mm -hmm. and, you know, (laughs) a constant battle to keep making friends, which I've definitely done before too. So um, it was a really cool balance of being able to have fun with someone, but also if we both needed space, being able to take that as well. So I think that that was a major factor in like how we were able to keep traveling for so long and make it feel sustainable in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think something that was really different about this trip than other trips we had taken was the like flow of it. So we purposely picked places that had different feels and activities to them so we weren't constantly on a beach for three weeks at Mm -hmm. a time um so we kept doing things that felt different and going to different climates and things of that nature so that it was almost like a new trip each time Mm -hmm. um which felt like something I had never done. I've really only traveled for a couple of weeks at a time or for months by myself at a time in one place. Mm -hmm. So um, this was a really new experience. But honestly, I think that when before we left, a lot of our friends and family were like, that's crazy. I can't believe that you guys are traveling for that long. Um, You know, it's something as people say that you could just dream of but would never actually do and I think what we both took away from it is that it's actually really easy like once you take that first step Mm -hmm. it just kind of continues to flow and there are some parts that suck and we've had you know like two times we stayed overnight in an airport which was never fun um but I think that it's something that like just takes a really big mental shift to allow yourself to do. Mm-hmm. And then once you're there, it just feels so good to kind of keep seeing the world, at least in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. That is incredible and just sounds like <laughs> such an awesome trip. And I like how you said that you were able to, you know, take some time um, apart if you needed to. So I don't know what that looked like for you guys, but um, I think it, at least for me and my husband, we're both introverts. So sometimes we need that alone time. Um, totally. So to be able to do that, like you said, with like a best friend, a partner, um, I think would be crucial for that long of a trip totally yeah there were definitely points where we were like we need to get away from each other yeah yeah I'm sure 
<laughs> but for the most part, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one last, I think, kind of point that I just want to talk about it because I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Yeah, um, totally. But I love how you said that you you both allowed yourselves to go on the trip and, you know, kind of step away from the norm, you know, your normalcy and put Mm -hmm. yourself in a different position in a different comfort zone. Um, And I think that's a lot of what holds people back, right? Is their Mm -hmm. own fears and their own kind of hesitations, whatever that may be. Um, So can you kind of talk about like, was there a struggle? Um, And even if it was with you and your boyfriend, I'd love to hear if there was like a, like a discussion before you left that was like, should we do this? Like, should we back out right Mm -hmm. now? Or was it always just (laughs) let's do this? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a theme of our conversation, right? It's am I allowing myself to do this thing? And sometimes you just kind of have to not look back and not look at the consequences and go for it and then figure out what happens next after you make that decision. So I think that um, I'm definitely the more like risk-loving person in our relationship. (laughs) My boyfriend is definitely the more risk-averse. So since he was bringing this as, you know, something he wanted to do, I was, of course, like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Um, I think that we kind of made the decision really quickly. And then we're like, oh, shit, all right, we have to plan (laughs) this and figure it out. Um, And then got really into the details from there. I think that kind of decision-making process has actually been really helpful for me in a lot of different points in my life because I'm definitely an overthinker if I allow myself to be, and I'm sure a lot of us are, but sometimes we just have to step out of that box and, you know, not worry about what's going to happen because we trust ourselves enough to figure it out. And that's kind of how a lot of the best things in my life have happened to me is by not holding myself up and holding myself back. So Mm -hmm. we didn't necessarily have a big conversation to answer your question. We were just like, all right, this sounds like a cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think we could figure it out. And I think the more worrisome came when we started telling our friends and family who mm. were a lot more worried than we were mm-hmm. about the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a hard thing. But I think that once, if you are doing it with someone else that you really care about and have a united front about it, then sharing that with others and then also getting back to your why. Um, and if you truly believe in that, it's, it's not as scary. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, I, can totally see how I'm just imagining telling like my parents mm-hmm. that <laughs> that I had this in store and yeah. I think I have a tendency to you know like not always make the decision 100% for myself but mm-hmm. I, I do care what other people think so I totally understand that point and I give you all the credit all the kudos <laughs> for still going it for it terrible. and and it's something you'll never forget which is so special so that's totally. that's amazing 
Um, like Beck said, I truly can't believe we've been recording this whole time. Like I'm just looking at the time now. It's nuts. We definitely need a part two. Yes. Um, I would love that. Which, which I feel like we could just pick right up where we left yeah. off. Um, and just to wrap up really quick for our listeners, if you've made it this far, which I'm sure you have, <laughs> you have, um, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, um, on Facebook, we have an exclusive group on our Facebook page that you just need to put in a request for. We will let you in, um, as quickly as we see it and just leave us some comments on Instagram, shoot us an email, however you want to get in touch. We are all ears. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Katina. We're so grateful to you for taking the time out of your day today, especially four days after getting back <laughs> from this crazy trip. You must be exhausted. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. It was awesome to connect and we'll definitely need to do a part two. We definitely do. Thanks so much. And bye, everyone. Bye. bye.